I carry several hats, but yes, the School of Theology, which is how we basically teach our, our staff to grow in their knowledge of the Bible, their understanding and application of the Bible, and to grow in their relationship with God. Um, I also have fingers into various resources that we produce as, as Agape. Um, and uh, at the moment, I'm on a team that's planning our activities at the Big Church Festival, which you might have heard about last year when uh, we, we were down there. So. Brilliant. Well, let me pray for you, Tony. Thank you. Father, thank you so much um, that Tony and Ruth are with us this morning, and thank you that um, Tony is bringing your word to us. And we pray for Tony as he speaks, as he opens up the word to us, Lord, that you would open up our hearts to the things that you have to say to us. Lord, may we be um, soft and responsive to you this morning. So we pray, Lord, that you would anoint Tony's words and speak through him to us today. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, it's a delight to be here with you this morning. Um, I think the last time I uh, was doing something with, a, with Alton Baptist was, was with a small group where we were uh, looking at some training on sharing your story, which Bernice uh, was involved with, and I think then sort of took into uh, your life as a church together. For so, so it's good to be here, um, and uh, looking forward to, to the rest of our time together. Um, so we're looking, I, I understand you've been looking through 1 Peter over the course of this last term, and uh, we're, we're now into chapter 5, we're on the home straight, as it were, um, and the whole theme this morning is uh, humble shepherds. And I don't know whether you've noticed how the phrase, I feel humbled, has crept into uh, certain usage over the last few years uh, in a way that's quite different, I think, from the way I tend to think of what is meant by that phrase. Um, several times in the last few weeks, I've heard that on the lips of someone who has been awarded a new position or uh, awarded a prize or something like that often a politician or an actor or a sports person, and they will use that phrase, I feel humbled. And what I think they actually mean is I feel honored um, by the trust or the confidence that's been placed in them but, um, in, in sort of taking that prize or that position. Maybe they feel perhaps that they're, they're not quite worthy to be counted amongst those who already share that honor and, but all the same, you sense that what they're saying is they feel quite proud of the fact that they've been given this opportunity. Perhaps it wouldn't sound so good to say that, so they say that they feel humbled. But that's not what I understand by that phrase, I feel humbled. Uh, to be humbled by something means that I feel less proud, less important than I might otherwise have done. And if, if Man United fans will please excuse me, it's probably what a number of Man U fans felt a few weeks ago with that 7-0 defeat by Liverpool. Um, or it might be what I feel when I fail to do something that actually I consider to be an area of strength. And it's that understanding of being feeling humbled that seems to me quite opposite to what those politicians, those actors, those sports people must have been feeling at that moment when they were given their award or whatever. So anyway, when, when Peter, in writing this letter to the church, um, urges them uh, in verse 6 of, of chapter 5 
humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, what was he saying then? How did he want them to behave? Surely what he wants for them is for them to have a modest view of their own importance. To see themselves first and foremost, not by the status or the rank or the influence that they have in, amongst the people that they uh, are worshipping with, and the people they mix with, but rather to see themselves by their relationship to and with the mighty God, who in an instant can bring down the proud. The moment we place our achievements, our standing in life, in the same light as our holy, powerful, mighty God, perfect God, we very quickly realize how what we have personally achieved measures scarcely a nano <laughs> amount alongside what God himself uh, achieves uh, uh, alongside God's influence, God's influence over billions of people, let alone the whole cosmos. Humility is about seeing ourselves in light of who God is and who we really are, rather than what we hope others might think of us. But, forgive me, because I've jumped into the last but one verse of this passage, and to do it justice, we need to back up um, and, and consider what Peter is saying here in these seven verses to the churches in Asia Minor, back in the first century, but also what God is saying to us through them now, today. And he starts by addressing uh, the elders in the church, those who've been given responsibility for leading the people of God in their church. And I say leading because that's how we tend to think of people, how we tend to talk about people in our churches who have a recognized responsibility or role. And we think of them as our leaders. However, it's noticeable that Peter doesn't use that word. He talks about them as shepherds. Verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Or as uh, previous translations have made it, serving as overseers. Caring and serving. And it's, it's all too easy when we're given a chance to influence someone or something to begin to think that that gives us permission to do what we want, to push our particular hobby horse or our agenda that we've always wanted to see happen. Becoming a leader can sometimes be the moment we've been waiting for to do things our way. And again, if you'll forgive me for straying into um, possibly controversial or div diverse, <laughs> um, divisive area of politics, it's a bit like when Liz Truss was made leader of the Conservatives. I felt quite strongly that at that moment it became clear that she had come into that role having been planning for years 
what she would do if she ever got that opportunity. And all she could think about was how she was now going to put that thinking into practice. And when the moment came, what perhaps she failed to do was stop for a moment and ask herself, is this the most appropriate moment? What will serve and care for the people of the UK most at this particular moment? Caring and serving. And if you are a leader in this church, I want to ask you, is that how you see your role, your, your responsibility? As a shepherd, caring for those who are your flock, if you like, wanting each one in the flock to flourish and find safe pasture, protecting them from danger. And let me say, I'm not just talking about those who may stand up here on a Sunday, uh, your elders, your deacons, your anybody that you think of as a leader. I, I'm talking to anybody here who has perhaps a responsibility in helping with a home group, uh, helping run your OK Club or Gobs or Yobs or Walk, Talk and Eat or all the different activities that go on amongst you. And in fact, I would say, isn't it the responsibility of all of us, regardless of whether we think of ourselves as a leader, the responsibility all of us have to care and to serve one another? Is that how you see your primary responsibility? If you were to look around this room right now and look at each person, is that how you see your responsibility towards them? to care and to serve. And if so, how does that shape what you do when you're amongst them? How does it affect how you relate to each other? How does it affect how you communicate with each other? How does it govern how you respond when difficulties and disappointments affect you as a body of people? In the next couple of verses, verses 2 and 3, Peter identifies three motivations or attitudes with which we might exercise our responsibility to one another as shepherds caring and serving. And he contrasts that with three negative ones. So the first is, verse 2, that you should do it willingly as God wants you to be. Willingly. Now, I've no doubt, as you've been reminded over these last few weeks, at the time Peter was writing to the churches uh, in Asia Minor, they were experiencing quite a significant amount of persecution. Um, being a follower of Jesus for them would attract considerable disapproval from the general populace, uh, malicious talk about them, insults, false accusations. It was not an easy time to hold up your hand and say, I belong to Jesus. And being chosen as an elder of the church at that time would immediately put you on the front line, the front line of that kind of persecution. The role came with an even greater cost to the individual. And it was vital for the church 
that those leaders who took on that role took it willingly, not grudgingly, because they had to. And the same, I think, is true for us. Even if the cost we face is more one of perhaps our time and our energy rather than persecution. And I, I don't know a great deal about you as Alton Baptist, but I, sus I suspect that if, if you're anything like the churches I've had contact with over many years, I imagine that a lot of the work in ministry here that goes on is done by a relatively small number of you. Um, and those that take those responsibilities are often stretched, perhaps feel that the, route, the role has proved to be rather more demanding than they expected, um, and feel perhaps that now that they've taken it on, they don't have much option but to stay there because there don't seem to be others stepping up to lighten the load. And when that happens, it's all too easy for that to be only a small step further to begin to resent uh, the cost. And sadly, I think anyone in a, a leadership uh, role or responsibility who begins to feel resentful about what it's cost them and where they're at will begin to struggle then to care and to serve the people as well. So I want to say this to those of you that are responsible in an area of ministry in this church, that if, you've, if you feel as though you've lost the original enthusiasm perhaps that you had, perhaps you find yourself thinking, I didn't realize it was going to cost me this much, then I would encourage you, talk honestly to those around you to your other shepherds. Look for ways to replenish those depleted reserves that you feel, whether it's energy, whether it's time, whether it's um, just your emotional strength. Look to discover ways to rekindle your motivation and maybe for, for ways to lighten the load. I can't help thinking that it wouldn't be that way, as I say, I've seen this in many churches, wouldn't be that way if each of us took seriously God's calling for us to care and to serve one another. And so what I would say, if you're not currently helping care and serve, then I, I would seriously ask you to think about what could I do that might help share the load together Peter says do it because you are willing as God wants you to be like so much of the Christian life this starts with an act of the will when we choose to do something and we choose to do it willingly my experience is we often find that God's spirit then brings a real sense of joy in doing what God has called us to do. But I would say if that's not where you're at at the moment, don't despair. 
as King David prayed expectantly in Psalm 51. God is able to create a pure heart in you, in us, and to renew a steadfast spirit within us. So talk to God about it. Talk to others around you. Be honest with them. Be open to what God is saying to you, what he wants for and from you right now. So that's the first of the three attitudes Peter talks about. Secondly, he says, shepherds should not be greedy for money, but eager to serve. By the time Peter was writing this, the preachers and elders of the churches uh, at that time could expect to be paid. But he warns them not to be motivated by that, but rather from a desire to serve. And just as then, and these days, uh, it's not a great many people within any individual church that get paid for doing what they do. But that doesn't mean to say we're not, each of us, uh, prone to looking for our motivation or our, our, our encouragement, whatever, for doing something. In, in other places, it may be equally as, as difficult and, and as risky as looking for money. It might be for the sense of importance and self-worth it brings, or for the apparent authority or, or power over others. It might be for the chance to influence what goes on or to have a, a say in mix, mixing with the people who influence what goes on. Or it might be just simply to get out of doing something else that we would be more frightened of doing if we were, were asked to do it. All of those things can be part of our reasons for accepting a, a role or a responsibility. And our motives, if we're honest, will never be totally pure. But if the desire for any of these things has become our primary motivation, then it's time to take stock Time, perhaps, to admit to God that we've got our priorities wrong and to ask him to renew us, to refresh us, to renew our willingness to serve as the first thing that drives us. And then thirdly, Peter tells these shepherds, verse 3, not to lord it over those entrusted to you, but to be examples to the flock. I've already talked about the, the tendency or the risk that perhaps given a position of authority, we might want to use it to tell others what we think they should do. Um, and if we're honest, sometimes we can be prone to doing that when we have to admit to ourselves that we are not doing it. We're telling others to do what we are not prepared to do ourselves. And we preachers are particularly prone to this danger of exhorting others to do what we fail to do ourselves. And the antidote to that, says Peter, is for shepherds to seek, first and foremost, to be an example to the flock. And Peter was a great role model in this. He taught them time and time again through this letter to persevere in the face of persecution and difficulty. 
to persevere in doing good and speaking good, even if it meant suffering at the hands of those who despised them for it. But he wasn't just prepared to suffer. He did, he, sorry, he did it only because he was prepared to suffer in the same way himself. We don't know for sure how long it was after this, but there came a time in Peter's life where he would be arrested um, and uh, eventually crucified for persuading people, continuing to persuade people to follow Jesus. He was prepared to put his own neck on the line for his faith in just the same way he had encouraged others to do. Would that we too would care and serve by our example, not just by our words. And I speak that very much to myself uh, and not just to you. Every so often, I tend to ask myself, how is my life demonstrating what I'd like to see those around me do as well? What stories am I telling about my own life that help to show how it works out in my own daily life? When did I last admit to my weaknesses and make myself accountable to others for repenting of that and seeking God's help in, in going in, in the opposite direction? For the, the past, probably now six months, uh, I've been meeting every three, or we three weeks or so with two, two sets of two, two other guys. And we spend about an hour together and in that time, we talk about five areas of our lives. Uh, we, we ask ourselves uh, and share together about how we're doing with our addictions. And you can ask me afterwards how that goes. That interesting thought, what are our addictions? How are we doing in our addictions? How are we getting on in our, um, uh, our prayer life, in our home life and relationships? in our work-life balance, and in getting out of our comfort zone in making Jesus known through word and deed. How are our addictions? How's our prayer life? How's our home life and relationships? How's our work-life balance? And how are we doing in making Jesus known through word and deed? And I had to admit to these, these uh, four guys um, that I was actually ashamed of the lack of self-discipline in my prayer life. Um, and I asked them to hold me accountable for seeing change in that uh, area over the next few weeks and to pray for me. And that's been going on a little while now, and I'm making slow, but, but some definite steps in the right direction. Um, and I would encourage you to make yourself accountable to a, one or two people that you are uh, good friends with to encourage you in the same way. We cannot shepherd others by simply telling them what they should do. We need to be living examples of what it means to follow Jesus. And that example will achieve so much more than our words on their own will ever do. Following Jesus is something that is caught more than it's taught. Now, I don't know about you, but I can find all of this quite daunting. 
Uh, but I take heart and encouragement from what Peter says next because he helpfully goes on to reveal what helped him keep a right perspective on all of this and keep a, a healthy motivation for caring and serving. He says, verse 4, that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So firstly, even though he was a shepherd with a responsibility over many people, after all, Jesus had said to him, you are Peter on this rock, I will build my church. Even so, he never lost sight of the fact that he himself was a member of a flock. He too had a shepherd over him, the chief shepherd, Jesus. And Peter knew that he needed to keep his eyes on Jesus, firmly fixed on Jesus and on the calling that Jesus had given him. So much so that his own status in the Christian world would never become too important to him. Peter recognized that he was under orders too, that he was just as accountable for how he lived and how he fulfilled that calling as anyone else was. And secondly, Peter recognized that the reward for his service would finally come when Jesus appeared again at the end of time. So he could hold lightly anything that he might otherwise look to for a sense of his own value and, and worth in life. Status, power, acceptance and popularity, recompense, gain, all of these things he could manage without because he knew that his true reward was stored up for him in heaven, waiting for the great day when Jesus comes again and will be revealed in all his true glory. Which actually brings me back to where I started, because I think that is the key to being humble. Having those two things that I've just identified. One, having our eyes fixed on Jesus, recognizing that whatever we may have in this world in terms of responsibility, we are mere members of Jesus' flock under his shepherding hand, looking to his example of what, what it means to care and serve others. And secondly, holding lightly to the things in this life that we might think of as return for our labors, knowing that our proper reward is stored up in heaven. If we can keep those two things, I think, at the forefront of our minds and as the bedrock for what motivates us, then we'll find it far easier to clothe ourselves, as, he puts, as Peter puts it, clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. We will leave it up to God to lift us up in due time rather than trying to do that ourselves or looking to others to lift us up. And so we come to verse 7 of uh, this part of the letter, which feels a little bit disconnected, where he suddenly launches into this statement, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And... Uh, 
I wonder whether the reason he says this here is because he's thinking again of this whole area of persecution. Consider for a moment the impact of that persecution increasing and the impact that might have on God's people, which I think is highly relevant for us now here in the UK. Um, you only have to think about how Christians are now being, uh, Christians who are, are speaking up for what they believe to be God's ways are attracting increasing rebuke, criticism, rejection, false accusations. Look at what happened to Kate Forbes um, and uh, the, the lady who's a contender for the leadership of the Scottish Nationalists and the amount that was thrown at her when she spoke up about what she believed. And it's responses like that from the media, from politicians, wherever, that might well increase our sense of anxiety about what might happen to us. Will there come a time where we might be increasingly shut out of places and positions that were once freely accessible to us? Will we attract uh, the kind of uh, outright criticism and, and rebuke that others have faced? In those circumstances, Peter says, cast your anxiety on God because he cares for you. After all, he knows all about what it means to be rejected and abused. In Jesus, he walked that road all the way to being tried on trumped-up charges and executed before anyone had a chance to try and stop it. Cast your anxiety on him because he knows what it feels like and he cares for you. A good while ago, um, someone told me that that word cast could actually be translated hurl. Literally, hurl your anxiety at God. And I found that quite comforting in the thought that actually God invites us to metaphorically chuck our, our biggest worries, the things that really um, paralyze us, to throw them at him. Um, because after all, of, of anyone, he is most able to take it. If we took it out on those around us, um, that might not be the same. But God can take whatever we throw at, at him. But actually, I've learned more recently that that word cast, it was more commonly used as a word meaning to um, cast off your outer garment. Maybe when you're come, you've come in from the outside uh, and you, you return home. And so the idea is, is more, what, what Peter's saying is, take your anxiety to, to God and hang it on him in the way that you might hang your coat up on a hook. Let him take it from your shoulders. Hand it over to him because he cares for you. I don't know how you feel right now about the way Christians are being treated. Um, but I would urge you to take comfort from this verse. But not just to take comfort, but to actually take it as an encouragement to persevere in the face of such trials, to keep 
looking to Jesus as the chief, chief shepherd for his leading in how we should live and walk, for his uh, encouragement to keep caring and serving those around us with a humble and grateful heart, looking forward to our reward when he returns. May God continue to mold us into his humble servants and shepherds. Shall we pray? Father God, thank you for these words to your church so many hundreds of years ago that still have a resonance for us today. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to take from this what you want to say to each one of us. Help us to hear and to understand, but above all, to find the, the right steps to apply this in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen.